Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. You can learn more at fredericksdachurch.org. Stewardship is about making the most of what we have. You may be surprised to find out what God has entrusted to us. This week, Robert Quintana shares how God calls us to be good stewards of our words in part two of Making It Count. Last time we were together, we started a sermon series on stewardship. Now, before that word scares you off, you know, because a lot of times when we think of stewardship, we think, oh, there goes the pastor again. He's going to be preaching about how he wants my money and how we need to give more, right? A lot of us, that's what we think of when we think of stewardship, but not true because I'm taking a, a different approach to stewardship this time around because the truth is that God has given us so many gifts and so many blessings. And when we talk about stewardship, the big picture of stewardship is not about wanting to acquire more or make more or, or it's not a matter of that. It's a matter of taking what we have, taking what we have been given and making the most of that. Taking what God has given us, as much as it is or as little as it is, taking those gifts, those talents, and making it count. And there are so many blessings and so many gifts that God has given us. One that we're going to talk about here today. Most everyone in this room has been given this gift. Every one of us. Uh, Nearly every one of us. Maybe the, the little infants here today. Uh, maybe the, the babies, uh, you know, the, the one-year-olds, maybe they don't have the ability to talk yet. But they will. Most of us, most of us here have been given the gift of the tongue. Let me explain what I mean. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. I, I just want to make sure that you understand that this is a gift from God, that this isn't something that we just have randomly. No, this is a gift from God. Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. I'm going to just prove to you real quickly that this is a gift from God. Um, here, for those of you that are familiar with this story, you will remember that, that Moses is being tapped on the shoulder by God to go to Egypt to free the people of God, to free the Israelites, right? And, and Moses is coming up with one excuse after the next. And he's saying, God, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. And every time God is saying to him, no, Moses, I have an answer to that excuse. I have an answer to that. And so he, he says to him, no, it'll be okay. Just tell them that I sent you. No, it'll be okay. I will give you the strength that you need to make this happen. And so Moses is just coming up with one excuse after the next. And then in verse 10, Moses comes up with what I thought was a pretty clever one. He says, then Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Come on. How can you argue with that? God, I'm not a very good speaker. You can't expect me to get up in public and speak on your behalf. My words aren't very good. Historians say that Moses was a stutter, that that he had a hard time speaking. But this is what verse 11 says. 
So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Even the words that we speak, even our mouth, our tongue is a gift from God. And this isn't just an Old Testament concept. We read this also in the New Testament when it says when you are um, handed over to the courts and the magistrates, when you're handed over, don't worry about what you need to say because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. And so we find out that our words are a gift that God gives us. Now, I I need to, to mention something here just so that we're clear when we talk about the stewardship or the management of our words. You see, because in today's day and age, the way we communicate takes on a variety of forms. So this just doesn't apply today to the words that we speak, but it also applies to the words that we put down in print, that we either text or put on Facebook or email. It is the way that we communicate with one another. The Bible teaches us that that is a gift that God gives us. And as we will soon find out, it is a very important gift. It is a very forceful and powerful gift, but we'll get to that in just a second. I just want to share with you a statistic that I came across, a study. Um, How many would agree with this statement? Women talk more than men. All right, so most of your hands are, are going up. Most of you would agree with that, and this study that I came across actually confirms that. On average, women speak about 20,000 words a day. 20, that, that's a lot. Uh, 20,000 words a day. And, and I know that some of you are probably well on your way in covering your 20,000 words for the day. I, I know. Um, the study said that men on average speak about 7,000 words a day. Now, that's quite a difference if you ask me. That's like three times as much, right? Uh, So you might understand the frustration sometimes that takes place within marriages and couples when, you know, she's like going on and on and on and and she wants you to respond and you're like, uh, sweetie, I I only have 7,000 words and I'm already at, at, you know, 6,009. I don't have many more words to spare here for the rest of the day. The interesting thing, though, is that a a, a recent study out of the University of Arizona uh, just came out not too long ago that actually suggests that both men and women average about the same amount of words a day, and the study shows that it's about 16,000 words a day. Uh, The study went on to say that the most chattiest among us, you know who they are, If you're one of them, you probably don't know that you're one of them. It's usually the way it works. People that talk a lot really don't know that they're big talkers. You know, it's always the other person like, oh, man, there they are again, you know, try and avoid that person. But the, the study says that the chattiest among us can speak up to, are you ready for this? 46,000 words a day. That 
can be exhausting. I just have to put that out there. That can be exhausting. But the average person, 16,000 words a day. Now, quite frankly, I didn't realize that I had 16,000 of anything. But apparently 16,000 words a day. That's a lot. And the Bible tells us that that is a gift from God. And what we're trying to answer here today, or the point that we're trying to get across in this message is, what are we going to do with those 16,000 words? How are we going to manage them? In other words, the point is, how are we going to make those words count? Making your words count. Now, this gift that God has given us is a pretty forceful and powerful gift. I want to challenge you that if you have some time this week or in the coming weeks to do a study on your own, do a study on your own on on this gift of tongues and, and the gift of speech, the gift of communication, go to Google or go to some search engine and, and just type in tongue in the Bible or mouth in the Bible or words in the Bible and just do a study on your own because quite frankly, we don't have time today to go over every verse that the Bible talks about in reference to the tongue and to the mouth. But I do want to share some of those with you. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Talks about the power of the tongue, the influence that the tongue can have. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. One says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Really? I, I, I mean, is this gift really that forceful? Apparently so. Apparently it is. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Here's another verse for you, still in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12. So just flip over a few pages back, or scroll back here just a few chapters to Proverbs chapter 12. Verse 18 says this, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, But the tongue of the wise promotes health. Man, you talk about this incredible gift that we've been given. And most of us here today will use 16,000 of them just today. Talk about wanting to understand how we can manage, how we can be good stewards of this gift. How can we make our words count? Because this is a very powerful gift. It deals with life and death. And here it it teaches us that it is, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the wise tongue of the wise promotes health. You might now understand why sometimes people might not want to be around you. I mean, really, who likes to be around someone who's constantly chopping you up with their sword? And yet you know people in your life that you enjoy being around because the words that they, spring, they speak bring healing. 
They make you feel good. They uplift your spirits. They, they, they talk about hope and faith in God and they talk about his promises. And around those people, you walk away feeling good and feeling, wanting to just conquer the world. I'm going to share with you a story about that in here in just a minute, about the differences between the two. But make no mistake about it. The tongue, the gift of communication, it is powerful, it is forceful, and that is why we as Christians need to learn how to be good stewards of the way that we communicate and our words. This is why David says to guard my lips, guard my mouth. If you turn over to Psalms chapter 141, Psalms chapter 141, this is what it says here. This is what David says. He recognizes the importance, the power of the tongue. And so in Psalms chapter 141, uh, verse 3, he says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. In other words, put a guard on my mouth. Put a filter on my mouth. Guard it. It says, Keep watch over the door of my lips. David understands the power of the word. He understands the power of what you say and how you say it. And so he says to God, God, I need you to be in control of my mouth. I need you to be in control of my tongue. I need you to be in control of how I communicate to others. How many of you learned in grade school playground, this little saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That is one of the biggest lies I think I've ever learned as a child. Because it is so untrue. It is so untrue. I can still remember things that were said to me in, in a degrading way or as far as criticism. When I was a child, I can still remember that. I can still remember, and I'm 30 years removed from it, I can still remember some of the names that I was called on the playground. And we say that, yes, to try and, and soothe and protect and, and kind of build these walls around us and say, no, no, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to listen, but it does have an effect on us. It has an effect in our marriages, has an effect in our relationships. It has an effect in the workplace, how we communicate with one another and the words that we use with one another does have an effect. And this is why David so clearly says, and this isn't the only time he says it, but this is one of the times where he says, God, guard my mouth, watch over my lips, be a gatekeeper, a guard to my mouth, what I say and how I say it. You know, uh, really, there, there's a book in scripture where, where, where it really just emphasizes this point over and over and over again. And I'd like for us to turn there just now. It's the book of James. It's a small little book towards the end of the New Testament. I'd like for you to go there just now because uh, we're going to read a few a few verses from James and, and learn a little bit more about the importance of, of what we say and, and how we say it. Uh, James, and we're going to start there with chapter 1, reading uh, one of the verses there in, in chapter 1. James chapter 1. And there in, in verse 19, he kind of sets the stage for the, the rest of what he's going to say about the importance of watching what we say. 
In verse 19, he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so he kind of sets the stage and he says, listen, when, when you want to be a good steward of, the, of your words, when, when you have these 16,000 words that you're going to be using today and you want to be a good steward, a guiding principle for you to be a good steward of these words, in other words, making the words that you speak count, a principle that you need to apply to your life is, listen, be slow to speak. Be ready to listen, swift to listen. You are ready to listen anytime, but be slow to speak, slow to anger. Now that, my friends, is a discipline that I admit is, is easier said than done. But it's something that we can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we humbly come before him and we say, Father God, I need your help in this area. Please help me to be patient. Please be a guard on my mouth. Be the doorkeeper of my lips and help me to be slow to speak. Let me listen more than I speak. And so he kind of sets the stage. And then from there, man, he just opens a can of worms, if you ask me, because he goes off on this gift that God has given us, the importance of us being able to control our tongue. If you read um, chapter 1, verse 26, he alludes to it again. It says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Man, now those are some pretty strong words if you ask me. I mean, he says, listen, if you think you're righteous or religious, if you think you're on the right track, but you do not bridle your tongue, and we're going to get to that word bridle here in just a second, but if you do not bridle your tongue, listen, it doesn't matter how many times you go to church, it doesn't matter how much money you give, it doesn't matter what religion, what faith, it is useless, And we're going to get to why in just a second here, but he's making a very strong point here that it is important that we bridle the tongue. Now, the word bridle, uh, what what is that associated with? I'm sorry? Horses, animals, right? And so I remember in Oklahoma, I love going to Oklahoma to my in-laws. He has a couple of horses, and of course, at the barn, he has the saddles and he has the bridles. I dare not ride one of his horses without a bridle. I can probably ride it without a saddle, but there's no way that I'm riding it without a bridle. Why? Because that bridle, what? Controls the direction that that horse is going to go. And so God says, listen, you want to be on the right track? You want to be on the right journey? Then you need to bridle your tongue. You need to control what comes out of your mouth. You may think it, but it's a whole other thing when you speak it. Now, 
Jesus calls us to a much higher calling. And we know this, you know, he's saying, if you think hatred unto a man, you've already committed murder. So, I mean, there's a lot more here to, to discover and unpack. And there's a lot of growth that needs to take place here. But we're talking about the initial reaction or what comes out of your mouth. All right. And here, James is making a strong argument that it is important, it is vital that we control what comes out of our mouths. And, and if you keep on reading through chapter 2, he talks a little bit more about it. But we're going to go ahead and skip to chapter 3 and just look at some of the things that he has to say here in chapter 3 regarding what we say. Starting with verse 2, chapter 3, starting um, with verse 2 says this, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. James here makes, uh, his suggestion here is, is really startling. Because he says, listen, we all fall in many different ways. There are things in our lives that we're struggling with that we are um, still, you know, trying to conquer. He says, but you find me a man that knows how to control what he says and when he says it and, and how he says it. He says, I'll, I'll show you a man who, who's pretty close to being perfect, who's pretty close to being righteous there. Uh, that's pretty startling if you ask me. I mean, when, when you consider how powerful and how forceful this gift really is, as we read here just a little bit ago. You see, because what you need to understand that when we talk about stewardship, it's not about acquiring more. No, it is about taking what we have and making what we have count. And here God has given us this gift. And you can see it in other areas. You can see it, for instance, in music. God gives many the gift of music. And some take that gift to build up the kingdom of God. Some take that gift of music to help uplift others and bring inspirational messages to others. And, and so they use their gifts in, in the context of I'm using this gift to honor and glorify God. But then some take that gift of music and what do they do with it? They use it to what? Tear down the kingdom of God. They take that gift of music and they use it for selfish reasons, to propel themselves or to puff themselves up, to spread messages that aren't according to the kingdom of God. They use that gift in very bad, evil ways. Well, guess what? The same thing is true of any gift and the same is true of the gift of the tongue. We can take that gift And we can use that gift for God's honor, for his glory, to uplift his kingdom, to edify God and to edify the church and those around us. But we can also take that gift and use it for bad, use it for evil and tear down those around us to bring destruction to our homes or our workplace or our churches. We can use that gift in very bad ways. And so here James is just, he's making a point. The point that he's making is, man, when you find someone who is using every single one of their words for the honor and glory of God, when when you find me a woman who is using her her 20,000 words a day for his honor and his glory, listen, I will show you a man or a woman that's pretty close to being in line with the will of God. 
goes on to say in verse 3, Indeed, we put bits on in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot decides. Even so, he says, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. Man, that is some strong language, and I believe he is trying to get this message across that what we say matters. It matters so much that he says that just as a bit in a horse's mouth controls the direction of the horse, or just like a small rudder controls the direction of the ship, he says the tongue is so powerful that it has the ability to control where you go, the journey that you choose to take. It almost sounds like it should be the other way around, right? It it almost sounds like it should be the other way, but he's making the point that the tongue is so powerful that it has the ability to work the other way around. In other words, if you ask God, Lord, please control my tongue, put a guard over it, the words that I speak, help me and control me there, and you are conscious about making every word count, it has the ability to change the direction that your life is headed. And so you may be struggling with all kinds of sins, all kinds of addictions here today. And today we're learning that one of the things that you can do to start correcting that path that you're on is just start guarding the things that come out of your mouth. Just simply, just start guarding it. In whatever relationship you might be in, it could be in your marriage relationship, it could be in, in a, a friendship relationship, it can be a, a, a relationship here in the church, at, like we communicate in, in board meetings or, or wherever you may find yourself. If you start controlling what comes out of your mouth, it has the potential to change the direction of the rest of your life. You know, this principle, this concept doesn't just apply to the words that we speak. No, Jesus talks about it when he's talking about money. When he's talking about the stewardship of money, he also talks about it. You remember that verse that he says, where your heart is, your treasure, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Do you remember that verse? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What he's saying is, is that your treasure might be over here. And if your treasure is here, this is where your heart's going to be, right? But he says, he's saying, if your heart belongs over there, right? You may be living outside of God's will here because your treasure is here. But if your heart belongs over there, His suggestion is then take your treasure and put it over here because where your treasure is, guess what? Your heart is going to go also. 
So you might be living a life full of sin and addiction. And one way to change the course of your life is to say, you know what? I just need to rearrange where my treasure is. Therefore, I'm not going to keep my treasure here. I'm going to put my treasure over there where I know my heart needs to be. And so by doing that, you put your treasure over there, your heart will follow your treasure. And so he's saying the same principle here about the tongue. He says, you start controlling your tongue. You start controlling what comes out of your mouth. It is like a bit in a horse's mouth. It is like a rudder under a ship. It has the potential. It is so powerful that it can change the direction that you're headed. This is how powerful this is. And so we're going to continue reading here in James because he just goes off. I mean, it is amazing some of the stuff that he says here. Um, let's see here in verse 7. He says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. You know, like when I lived in Florida, uh, we would often take guests to Parrot Jungle. Has anyone ever been to the Parrot Jungle? All right. It sounded like you were a little ashamed to admit that you're the way you kind of, you're like, the pear, I, I enjoyed the pear jungle. And I cannot believe some of the things that we humans can get parrots to do. Did you know that parrots can ride a bike? I mean, not like a big bike. We're talking about a little parrot bike. Like we can get them to ride around in a little bike. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And when you look at what we've been able to do, with animals, as far as taming them, it's pretty unbelievable that we can tame a little parrot, a killer whale. I mean, really, has anyone been to SeaWorld? It's pretty amazing, right, that we can control such amazing animals. And he's making a, a very clever point here in verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to fall before God and humble myself and say, God, I don't want that for me. I want my tongue to be tamed. I do not want my tongue to be full of poison that brings destruction to those around us. And most of the time, folks, unfortunately brings destructions to those that we love the most. I don't want that. And that's why we all need to just say, you know what? I'm humbling myself before God. And God, I am asking you to control my tongue, put a guard on my mouth, uh, be the doorkeeper of my lips. God, I need you to put a bridle, a bit in my mouth because I want to make my words count. I want to use my words not to tear down, but to build up. Uh, not to bring disease and, and not to bring illness, but to bring health and healing to those around me. He goes on to say here in verse 9, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. And, and the verse that I think of when I read this is, if you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. There, there's this 
principle, um, this theme that keeps on coming up in Scripture, that, that how we treat one another is basically how we would treat God. You know, we sometimes think, oh, no, 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 God's a different story, right? No, I'm going to treat God with respect and love. And, uh, and then we, we treat our, our neighbors, our family uh, we treat our spouses, our children, we treat our co-workers uh, a lot different. We treat strangers. And, and there's this reoccurring theme that says, no, no, wait a second. Uh, how, how you treat one another is really a barometer of how you treat God. How you speak to one another is really a barometer of how your relationship with God really is. And so he's making that point there in verse 9, verse 10. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. You know, one of the stories that I think of when, when I read that um, was the story of, of good old Peter. You know, Peter kind of has a reputation of, of sticking his, his foot in his mouth. Like time and time again, like he wasn't making his words count. He had to go through a, a learning process, a growth there. But if, if you'd like to turn with me um, to Matthew chapter 16, um, we're going to read one of those stories. Um, here it says in, in chapter 16, verse 13, it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So he's asking his disciples, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. He's asking one of his disciples, like, who do people say that I am? In verse 14, so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Bringing into uh, their um, understanding that you need to be accountable for what you say. Right? You need to be a good steward of your words. The, the 16,000 words that you're going to speak today, you need to make those words count. And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter nailed it. Man, did he use words that counted. I mean, he really just said words that uplifted the name of Christ. That, that brought glory to him, so much so that Jesus responds in verse 17 by saying, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, nor, for flesh nor blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So Peter responded in a good way. He used words that counted. He used words that glorified Jesus Christ, right? But do you remember the verse that we just read back in James? How it says here, it says here, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be so, right? You remember that verse? Because listen to what happens next. In, in verse 21, 
It says, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chiefs, priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised um, the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Okay, so now Peter is not using words that count. In other words, it's almost as like Peter took off that guard, that bridle off of his mouth, and now he's not using words that glorify, that lift up. And it says here that he took him aside saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And in verse 23, Jesus reminds Peter exactly how off track he is and reminds Peter that these words that you're using just now, they're, they're not words that count. They're not words that are uplifting. They're not words that are speaking the truth. And so he says to him in verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And that's just a few verses right after Jesus was praising Peter for the words that he used. Now listen, most of us live that kind of a life. Most of us, that's how we communicate. We say positive things. We say, I love you. And then maybe by lunchtime or by the evening times, the stresses of life and the pressures of life have just gotten to us. And and the words that we speak are words that wound, are words that bring destruction around us. James tells us this should not be. We need to change that. And yeah, we may speak words of encouragement and, and we may say words like, I love you and you're the best and, 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 and I love this and, and thank you and, and praise God and, and, and blessed be his name and, and we're so blessed with so many of his, of his gifts and, and yeah, we need to say that. But when it comes, when, when, when we get to the point where we are now just wanting to unleash and, and take that guard off of our mouth, that is the moment where we need to kneel down And we just need to humble ourselves before God and say, God, just guard what comes out of my mouth because I do not want to use my tongue as a sword. I want to use my tongue to bring healing. And if I can't use my tongue to bring healing, then I need to just shut up. I need to just be quiet. I need to not say anything right now. Because God, the words I say matter. And what I speak is a huge force for either good or evil. And so here, going back to the book of James, we're just going to finish up this little section here. He says here, um, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And so the interesting thing here is that here the Bible is telling us 
Um, maybe you've heard this saying that the eye is the window to the soul. Has anyone ever heard that? That the eye is the window to the heart, right? Well, here the Bible is telling us something different. He says, no, no, no. The real window to what's going on deep down inside is your mouth. It is your tongue. It's what you say. It's how you communicate. That, that's really the window to your soul and, and to your heart. And so that's why it is so important that we humble ourselves before God. And as our relationship with him develops, and yes, as he changes us from the inside out, our words will become more loving. We will become better stewards of our words and we will become or come to a place where our words matter, where our words count for something of eternal value. But as we journey along this road where God is working in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is imperative, it is important that we guard our mouths, that we guard our words, our tongue, that we guard what we say to one another. Because not only does it have a huge effect on those around us, Not only does it have a huge effect on us, but we have just learned that by doing this, the Holy Spirit uses this very act to help straighten our path and correct our journey to have us going down the right road. You know, Heather and I just came back from a wonderful, wonderful vacation and I just want to thank this church for, for your graciousness and, and allowing me to take 10 days uh, to go celebrate 10 years of marriage with Heather. And uh, we had an opportunity to, to go to Hawaii, a state I had never been before. And I kept on finding myself saying, yeah, back in the States, like, wait a second, I, I am in the States. It's just so different from anything else I've experienced. It's just, it's beautiful out there. But I just want to share with you two incidences that I had that just impacted me. And because I'm thinking about this, you know, because I'm, I, I was meditating on my message and, and, uh, and just meditating on words that count and making my words count, uh, these two things happened to me that really just, just really showed me the difference, the, the, the two extremes, uh, so to speak. Um, there's this beautiful, wonderful bay in, in south, the, the southeast part of Oahu called Hanama Bay. And I might be mispronouncing it, and if I am, I'm sorry, but I think it's Hanama Bay. And, and it's a beautiful bay. Um, they're kind of secluded from the waves, and so um, it's, a, it's a hot snorkeling spot. A lot of people love to go snorkel there because there's coral, there's tons of fish. I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. And, and so um, we went the first day and we paid our entrance fee. And everyone who goes there for the first time has to go see a video. And this video is about eight minutes long. It's not very long, but they tell you about, you know, the, the preservation and they tell you how to, you know, keep up, you know, how not to destroy the coral. You know, they tell you not to feed the fish. You know, they, they kind of instruct you on, on some of the things to keep in mind as you're in this, this bay. And uh, it's beautiful, right? At the end of the film, they, they say to everyone, now, if you're planning on coming back within a year, a sign Put your name on the sign-up sheet so that you won't have to see this video again if you come back within a year. 
And so I looked over at Heather and I was like, yeah, we'll probably come back, you know, uh, later this week, maybe in a couple of days. Um, and so we went up front, we put our names on the sign-up sheet, and so we were done. And so we left. We had a, a beautiful, lovely day. It was amazing. Just the fish. It, I just, I love the ocean. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. Got to swim with sea turtles about this big. It was wild. And one of my, one of the funnest things I got to see was an octopus. I'd never seen an octopus in the wild. It was amazing. Anyways, so had a wonderful time. Um, about two days later, um, we said, you know, let's go back. That was a neat place. And so we went back and, and we paid our entrance fee. And uh, as we were, you know, getting in line, um, the, the ranger there was telling us, you know, you need to go see the video. And so we said to them, no, we've already seen the video. Well, did you sign up? Well, yes, we did sign up. Well, then go to the information desk. Okay. So we go to the information desk, you know, so we can tell them we've been here. Look us up. So you give us a stamp so that we can not have to go through the video. All right. So um, there were two people in front of us and the person that was currently talking to the receptionist there was like, I was here yesterday and I saw the video and I signed my name up and I'm not going to watch the video again. And the lady behind the desk is like, well, ma'am, your name is not on the list. And so you have to watch the video. And they just had this heated discussion that went back and forth and started to escalate. And we're like, oh my, what's going to happen here? And we're thinking, just go watch the video. It's only eight minutes. We've been standing here for 10. You could have already watched the video and we all could be enjoying the bay. And well, they just went back and forth, back and forth. And then finally someone else came and started attending to us. Well, I got to tell you, Heather and I, we left, we got our hands stamped and and we're walking. For about the next 30 minutes, Heather and I are talking about, you know, what was going on and how wrong it was and and how they can improve the system. And and we were talking about this lady who was just outrageous and how she really shouldn't have said this and how she shouldn't have said that. And it took us about 30 minutes, really, to just get that behind us. And say, you know what, why, why, are, why are we even spending any time thinking about that? Here we're at this beautiful bay. I mean, we're just going to enjoy it, you know. And it just left such a bad taste in our mouth. And it wasn't even with us. We were overhearing it. But it left such a bad taste. You know why? Because this gift of, of words, this gift of communication is powerful. It is forceful. And it has the ability to either build up or tear down. And so what we're trying to say here is if we have 16,000 words that we're going to use today, let's use those 16,000 words and make them count. Towards the end of our trip, we went to the North Shore. Now, Oahu is famous for the North Shore. I mean, I don't know, I, I didn't realize this really until I was there and kind of reading the guidebooks, but this is like the Mecca of surfing around the world. Like all professional surfers want to make it to the North Shore at some time, at some point in their lives. There's this section of beach called the Pipeline. 
You can imagine why it's called the pipeline. It's because these waves are so huge that they create these pipeline-looking waves, and it's one after the other. Well, towards the end of our trip, we saw the, the, the weather report, the surfing report, and they said that there were going to be swells that could reach up to 20 feet. And, and these waves just come consistently, 10, 15, 20-foot waves, I mean, coming, just crashing onto the beach. And so we were like, you know, let's go check out, you know, the surfers. There was a competition that was going to take place the next day. So we're wondering, there might be some like professional surfers out there or, or body uh, boogie boards out there, you know, preparing for the tournament, whatnot. So we went out there, we sat on the beach for a while, looking at the surfers, you know, taking, taking in the waves, surfing, just, just amazing. I, I really don't know that I could ever surf. Um, waves like that. I mean, they looked dangerous and powerful and they were scary. And, and some of these guys would get up and make it look so easy. And then some of these guys would, as soon as they stood up, bam, 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 they would, you'd lose them for like 10 seconds. And then finally you see them coming up out of the, the, the white water, you know, I mean, it's just crazy. But we were there and I'm asking Heather all these questions. Who has the right-of-way? I mean, if like three people got up on the same wave, like who has the right-of-way? And who has the right-of-way, the surfers or the boogie boards? You know, is it like skiing and boarders, you know, snowboarders? And I'm, I'm asking her all these questions. And she's like, I don't know. Like, why are you asking me? I'm like, well, why are all these waves like right here? Like, I don't get it. Like, just a few hundred yards over here, the waves aren't that big. Like, why are all the waves right here at, at Pipeline so big? Is it like some kind of like underground channel? I mean, what's going on? And she's like, I don't know. You need to find somebody that knows. I don't know anything about surfing. It's like, oh, so I, I, I was a little frustrated, I have to admit, because, uh, you know, I wanted to understand the sport and, and no one was there to, to teach me or school me on it. And so we decided that it was time to go. And as we're walking to the car, I see this young man and I wish you could see him, but you can, I, I know that you can picture him. If you can just picture uh, in your head a Hawaiian, you know, Hollywood surfer with, you know, a washboard stomach, you know, six packs, which I'm kind of working on. But, um, you know, he had his six pack, uh, you know, cut, muscular, uh, beach blonde hair that kind of came down to here, you know, and I was like, I thought to myself, you know what, I think he might know something about surfing. So I'm going to ask this young man you know, these questions that I've been, you know, plaguing Heather with. So I go up to him and I, I said, you know, in, in a very, you know, kind and, you know, non-threatening voice, I said, I said, sir, I said, do you have a few moments to spare? And he looks at me and he's like, yeah, dude, what, what, what can I help you with? And I'm like, dude, I feel like I'm in a movie or something. Like, this is so cool, right? And so I, I say to him, I said, I said, do you, you know about surfing? He's like, yeah, I, I know a little bit about surfing. I, I kind of grew up surfing. I've been surfing since I was a little boy. I was like, oh, cool, cool. I said, um, I said, what's the deal with the, 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 uh, the etiquette out there? Like, who has first rights to a wave? And, and so he goes on to this long explanation, 
you know, and I'm not going to bore you with it, but he goes on to this long explanation as to who has first dibs on a wave, whether a surfer or a boogie board. And, you know, if there's multiple people that are trying to catch the same wave. And I ask him about why are there so many, you know, waves in this one section? Turns out there is a channel that forces all the water to come in through that. And, and so we just talked for a while. Just the loveliest guy. I'm so kind. I mean, I, I have to admit to you that by the time I was done talking to him, I felt as though I had made a lifelong friend and I felt like I could go out that moment and surf a 20-foot wave. <laughs> That's how good I felt about myself. And I, I'd been talking with him for just about 10 minutes. And, and, and I, at one point, I, I said to him, I said, I said, do you teach I, I said, do you ever teach? He's like, oh, dude, yeah, man. I, I love teaching people how to surf, man. W- what are you doing tomorrow? I was like, I- I'm leaving tomorrow. He's like, he's like, oh, man, well, well, here's my cell phone number and here's my email. And whenever you're back up here, give me a call and I'd love to take you out and I'll teach you how to surf. I'm like, really? Really? I- this is awesome, right? And so as we're talking... A friend of his comes up, Bob, and Gavin turns to, to Bob and he says, Bob, uh, meet my friend here, Robert. This is a good friend of mine, Bob. And so we, we talk a little bit and, and he's like, so what are you doing? And he's like, oh, just chatting with Robert here a little bit about surfing and, and whatnot. And I look at Bob, I said, yeah, I don't know anything about surfing. So I thought I'd ask Gavin if he knew anything about surfing. And he looks at me, he's like, <laughs> does Gavin know anything about surfing? Gavin Sullivan? Uh, yeah, he's a professional surfer. I'm like, I, I didn't, I didn't know. He says, surely you've heard of his dad, Jocko Sullivan. It's like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, city boy, DC, you know, Baltimore area, Frederick, uh, Jocko. He's like, dude, you don't know Jocko? Like Jocko was like, he's legendary, dude. He's like, he's like one of the first guys to like ever ride the pipeline. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, man, Jocko, he's so famous. He had his own beach named after him. I'm like, this is crazy. This is unbelievable. Okay. And, and, and I didn't know this. I didn't know this about him. Right. And, and so we, you know, got to know a little bit more about him. Turns out Jocko Sullivan, his father is one of the legends in Hawaii. Like everyone knows Jocko Sullivan, you know, one of the pioneer surfers of, of the, the North Shore, the pipeline. His grandmother, Jocko's mother is like a renowned long distance sea kayaker. Like she does these treks, these solo um, kayak treks in, in Alaska, like where she'll go for like 2,000 miles. This woman has done more kayaking. She has, she has racked up enough miles, the equivalent of halfway around the world. She's written several books and she's like the, the, like the guru when it comes to solo sea kayaking. And here this whole time that I'm talking to Gavin, just a humble, a decent, um, and I hope I don't offend him by saying this, one of the sweetest men I encountered my whole trip down there. And, and when we got back to the hotel, we went on the computer and just typed in Gavin Sullivan. 
And turns out this guy has won one tournament after the next. Just one tournament. He's a professional surfer. It's what he does for a living. His dad, Jocko, is indeed this legend in Hawaii. And what I found so interesting about my conversation with this young man is that he made me feel special. He made me feel like a friend. He, he made me feel literally like I could go surf a 20-foot wave right then and there, you know. And he just extended just so much love and kindness towards me. He used words that counted. And so as we leave here today and as we, we, we try and wrap our mind around stewardship and, and making the, the best of what we have, let's think about our words, Let's think about the 16,000 words that we're going to use today. And let's use words that count. Not words that bring depression and argument and criticism. Not words that tear down, but use words that build up. Words that bring healing. Words that will honor and glorify God. Because this gift is an amazing force that God has given us. And we can use it for either good or or evil. And it's time that we, as Jesus's followers, we start using words that count. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We're a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click on Sermon Audio.